Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Chitillo Coster. Raise your hand if you've been wanting to do influencer marketing in your business, but haven't really been sure where to start, or maybe you're already doing it, but not sure if you're doing it right. Then you're going to want to hear from today's guest, Cody Wittick, co-founder and managing partner of Kinship, an influencer marketing agency. But before you tune out because you hear the word agency, I assure you it's not quite what you think. Admittedly, when I first got Cody's submission form to be a guest on the podcast and I saw that it was coming from an agency owner, I was hesitant. But when I read what he wrote and looked at his website, I was thrilled to connect with him. And when you hear our conversation, you'll totally understand why. And not only is he a genuinely nice human being, he's got some serious street cred. He got his start in influencer marketing at Kalo, the brand that created the silicone wedding ring industry, and he was essentially the entire influencer marketing department there, starting completely from scratch, eventually building up the influencer roster to over 250 people, including household names such as LeBron James, Jason Aldean, Mike Trout, and Dale Earnhardt Jr., as well as micro-influencers within the industries of TV personalities, CrossFit, outdoor enthusiasts, and even pets. So he's been around the influencer block. I absolutely love his approach to influencer marketing, and after you listen to this episode, if you do too and you want his strategy without the agency price tag, he's got a course that breaks it all down for you. It gets a quick mention at the end of the episode, but I wanted to make sure I mentioned it again for you, and there's a link in the show notes. All right, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Cody. Thanks for having me, Jessica. I'm excited. Me too. So I'm really excited to talk about influencer marketing with you. I have clients and listeners who are in the multi-six going into the multi-seven figures. And most of them, you know, they created a product to solve a problem or it's just something they love doing. They're not retail people. They're not e-commerce people. You know, they've all kind of dabbled in influencer marketing, but I don't think anyone has really done it really well or had a lot of focus, right, on the strategy. It's just like, hey, she's cute. Maybe she can like create some content for us. So I'm excited to kind of school them on the right way to do this. Let's do it. Yeah. So before we do that, I'd love to hear from your perspective a little bit about you and why, you know, you decided to be an entrepreneur. My name's Cody, obviously, for those that click on the podcast and see my full name. I run an influencer marketing agency along with my business partner, 
Taylor called Kinship. We're an influencer marketing agency, but we are not the traditional agency that represents talent that is motivated to get them deals like you probably the past 30 years, typical like, you know, celebrity roster or athlete roster where you represent talent, highly motivated to get them deals and increase that price up as much as possible because you're going to get a cut. And we're not in the sense of like today's world where there's platforms and tools and discovery tools, but we're more so the matchmaker and we have a very philosophy that we're going to definitely dive into much further on today. Why I became an entrepreneur, it's funny because actually leading up to this journey, I kind of just fell into it. And I think a lot of people would relate to that. I never really associated with, I always want to be an entrepreneur or I always want to be like a business owner. I think I closely more associated with words like leader or self-starter kind of thing, like just based on my history and my life. But I never was like, hey, I'm going to own my own business one day and stuff like that. But just this opportunity where I was at a former brand and wanted to start doing this for myself and for other brands and take my experience elsewhere. And it was like that more inner dialogue within myself of, okay, like what is next? So that's how it eventually led to, oh, I'm a quote unquote entrepreneur. <laughs> gotcha. I mean, I started e-commerce badassery by accident. Because I was just, you know, in these Facebook entrepreneur groups, because I always loved being in that energy and learning new things. And MailChimp and Shopify had just broken up and people didn't know what to do. So I just started talking to them about Klaviyo because that's what I was already using in my previous job. And then people started messaging me like, oh, can you help me? And I was like, well, I live in Southern California. I'd like to buy something someday. Maybe I can make some extra money, help these people like doing what I do in my sleep. And it just sort of snowballed. So I definitely relate to that. I mean, I loved what I did. I didn't really love who I did it for. So I knew I wanted to do something else. I just didn't necessarily think that I was going to like have a podcast and put my face all over the internet, you know. Source clients, help a bunch of people. Yeah. And just like make all of these online friends, which is so fucking cool. So it's been a wild ride. So when you sent me the request to be on the podcast, which I will say, I read all of them, but I don't bring everyone on. <laughs> but I was very excited to talk to you because you really talked about building community instead of asking for things. And so that was like the message that really hit me. And I know you have like this three phase blueprint that you walk through with all of your clients. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. So three phase blueprint basically is number one, building community of influencers around brands. Number two is taking that community and identifying the best content creators out of that community and working with them on a consistent basis. And then thirdly, we just run Facebook ad accounts because that's where we see the best attribution with sales. <laughs> if anyone goes to our website right now, it says right at the front of your face, we are judged on sales, not likes. And that's because that's what all your listeners care about. That's what everybody who owns a store cares about. At the end of the day, like you have to make money to be in business. And I love mission-oriented brands and I love brands that have a great purpose. I think those are the best ones, but you also need money. <laughs> you need to make a dollar. <laughs> Otherwise, you could have the best purpose in the world. If you don't have money to like make sure that cause goes out into the world, no one knows about you. Uh, yeah, so that's a three-phase blueprint. So let's talk about the seating and the building of the community. What does that look like for 
either if you're doing it or if someone was trying to do it on their own? What I would say is a great starting point is whatever your cogs are, whatever the price point of your product is, I would look at who do I want my customer to be? And you better know who your customer is if you're a business owner. Amen. And who's the influencer that represents that customer? And then just start there and break it down into maybe at a smaller scale, like who can I send my product to? So when I say building community, I mean, you're building community based on giving and not asking. So a lot of our industry, a gifting program might be in the sense of, you know, you go to an agency, they promise you a bunch of posts, you're going to send out your product to a thousand people, you're going to get a thousand posts, you're going to get all these impressions and stuff like that. The problem is, all those influencers don't give a crap about you. They just want the product. And so the part of the opt in is, you give them your product, you give me a post. And we have a very opposite mentality is where we want to set up brands long term with a community of people that actually really care about the product. They've never heard of you before. They get hounded by brands all day long. And you're going to be the brand that asks them to post three times, like just right off the jump. They've never heard of you, never received a product in the mail. Like it just does not make sense. But I get it. Like brands are strapped for cash. They want to make a dollar. If I'm going to send you my product, I better get something. But Influencer marketing is so human at the end of the day. It's more human than every other channel. And so it has to be human first. It has to be a relationship first. The way I would start is sending your product out for free, building your relationship by just giving them value and not asking for anything up front. And you'll be amazed at the results. You know, if you can send one, two, five, ten 10 products out a month to certain influencers and just basically saying like, hey, you're a brand fit. We love you. We love your content. We just love who you are. We would be proud that you represent our company. We'd love to send you a product, no strings attached. It's like a breath of fresh air to influencers. It's such a great point. And I think as the CEO of your brand, if you can think of them as just another ideal customer, another customer base, like you're not going to be showing up in your customer's inbox or on social always saying, hey, buy my product, buy my product. So you shouldn't go to the influencer and say, post about my product, post about my product. Like nobody wants that. Totally. And I think influencer marketing now, the way it's kind of been around for so long and it keeps changing and influencers have really solidified their space as influencers and businesses. And I think we as the owners, we think they need us, but that's not the case. We need them. Yeah. And it's a job. It's their business. Like they put so much time, energy, and effort into creating that amazing content that made you contact them in the first place. So when they don't want to give away their product or like, oh, I don't want to pay them, you know, 500 bucks for one post when like it's not going to bring me anything. And I'm like, you're looking at it the wrong way. Totally. I compare it to dating a lot. It's like if I ask you out on a first date and then I say, oh, but you have to buy dinner. It's like, <laughs> we might have a great time, but the second date is probably unlikely. Right. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll buy dinner, but we're never going out again. So like, that's kind of the one-off world that we live in, in influencer marketing, where it's like, hey, I'll send you my product, but you got to post for me. And it's like, okay, depending on how bad I want that product, like I'll do it. But like, you're starting off the relationship in just completely off way. Now- there could be people where it's like, oh, I don't care. Like, 
they could be listening and be like, yeah, I just want to do that. The problem is you constantly have to hit a one-off drug to find new and new people because it's just a bunch of first dates. And so what we're trying to do is actually set up, for lack of a better term, a bunch of mates for the brands where it's like actually long-term advocates, where there's a real relationship that's materializing, growing over time. And maybe you send them more product or maybe you eventually work together officially where it's like, hey, would you be interested in working with delivering UGC on a month-to-month basis, stuff like that? Well, it just goes back to the question, like, what's the best way to start the relationship? There's nothing wrong with having certain criteria of like, hey, this amount of followers, or they have to produce really great content. But it's just how do you start the relationship that you set yourself up for long-term success? So that messaging is very relationship-oriented. So even much longer than our measly three or four-month contract with Kinship, you actually have such a community long-term, way beyond working with us, because that's our goal eventually, is that you guys would just have an internal community that is actually very interested in loving your brand and product. That's amazing. I love that. And I want to touch on the influencer generated content. And sometimes what I will tell clients of mine is sometimes that's really all you're trying to get out of them, right? It's not always about that return sale, that ROI. Sometimes it's they create really amazing content and you do not have the capacity, the bandwidth or the skill set to do it. So I'd love to hear how you kind of think of it. And are you sometimes choosing influencers simply because they're amazing content creators, even if they don't necessarily have a huge following? Well, I would say actually all the time. We like to paint this difference between a creator versus distributor. So as a distributor, I'm really valuing their follower count, their engagement rate, because I'm looking at them as a distribution channel. So they're going to post this piece of content, but I'm really hoping that there are 100,000 followers you know, with their 5% engagement rate, which is really good, that those 5,000 people are going to see that and hopefully convert. Whereas we view them as a creator where it's like that same influencer at 100,000, we don't really put a lot of stock in that follower count. We don't really put a lot of stock in their engagement rate. Although important, air quotes, we would say that that creator's content creation ability is the number one value because we want to believe, and you have to believe, the one that has the sales generating avenues like email and Facebook ads, the two biggest ones um, right off the bat, can distribute this content better into more places than the influencer can. Influencer has one. You, the brand, have at least two, I hope, and maybe more. Like if you're just a single entrepreneur, you just have email, you just have Facebook ads, you already have more distribution channels than the influencer does. Because I'm not talking about the Mr. Beast of the world that are like their own brand. They're like competing with Nike and starting hamburger chains and stuff like that. I'm talking about like the micro influencers that they're doing this as a full-time gig, or maybe it is still part-time and it's just like, hey, for fun, like I just go out and share what restaurants and share what food I like and here's my cooking recipes, et cetera. So you, the brand, have to believe that you can distribute the content better into more places and therefore actually get sales because just the way that social algorithms work today, it's really tough. You hear all the stories of, oh, this brand made 500 grand in one day off a TikTok video. I don't doubt that. I'm just saying like those are outliers where it's like what used to be super popular, what used to happen a lot back in the day with discount codes and generating a ton of sales off organic. It's a lot harder to do. So like why put all your eggs in that basket? Let's redistribute this content more places. Yeah. And let it help you tell the story about your product and your brand, right? Like as a CEO, 
That's what you're trying to do. That's why people buy. Gosh, I hate talking about 2020 all the time, but like it taught us so much. Things that we already knew, but we kind of ignored or wanted to pretend weren't true. I think 2020 just kind of amplified things like people buy from people. They actually care where they're sending their money. And luckily, you know, they want to support small businesses and even mid-sized businesses. So the biggest struggle is telling your story because none of us know how to do that well. So let the influencer story, someone who's using and loving your product, let that be a story that you tell through their content. And it goes back to the relationship piece. Like they got to be able to know you on a one-off basis. Sure. Like that happens. We do that on behalf of our clients. We don't do seating and build communities. So we'll hit an influencer on the first name basis and be like, Hey, this brand is very interested in three videos, one image. Like, of course that's going to happen, but that takes all the more effort when you don't start with just sending them the product and they have like a real relationship with the product and actually rally around your brand. Because then like you're saying, that storytelling piece is so much more authentic, which is the buzzword that everybody throws around in our space. Authenticity, I think, is just relatability. People just being able to see like, oh, wow, like this person actually really cares about this product. Yeah. And if you can have someone who would post about your product even if you didn't give it to them for free or you didn't pay them to do it. Like if they can get to that place in the relationship with you where they just really love it so much, like it's word of mouth, like word of mouth advertising is not dead friends. We're just doing it differently. Yeah. We're doing it over Zoom calls or through DMs on Instagram. That's the difference. Amazing. Yeah. If we could have a word of mouth tracker, that person's going to be a kajillionaire. And I'd be very interested in investing because of seeding. All I can say is just it has compounding value. Like people talk about things that they love. And so if you create a great first impression, regardless if they post, like you're saying, regardless if they end up working with you, like people just tell people about things that they love. And, you know, we forget because we can't see it. Right. No one's going to be like, oh, yeah. So I'm super excited. I bought this product because so and so told me about it because they're so and so told them about it. Like, you're never going to find out, but like, it's happening. I promise it's happening. Let's talk about the Facebook and Instagram part. And hopefully, you can kind of speak to this. So, I spent like seven years working in an industry that couldn't do social ads. So, I am high level concept and theory, but I can't run an ad for my life. But I know there's a thing where you can use your influencers content in your ads. And, you know, there's some tech piece where you kind of hook the two things together in the back end. Can you speak to that a little bit and sound more intelligent than I just did? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's best to break things down in layman terms as possible. And to not do that is something is called whitelisting. Is that something that you're referring to? Like advertiser access. So all that means is just you, the brand, have a Facebook ad account. It's basically the same thing for that influencer specifically. You're just setting up an influencer specific ad account and they're giving you access to it to run their content through their handle. Now, you could run branded content through it, but most of the time, 99% of the time, you're just running their own content through their handle. Um, There is some benefits to the influencer, you know, because you're taking their name into other audiences, you know, massive audiences. So their social growth can happen. Also, It's sometimes called dark posting because it doesn't actually end up on their feed. So that's very attractive to them as well, where it's like a bunch of people are going to see it, 
but like it's not messing with their aesthetic and everything that's going on right around there. So that's just a very broken down way. It's just the ability to serve ads through their handle. So like when you're seeing it, it's just less addy, even though it's like Instagram and Facebook have done a lot of basically being transparency, ad transparency, like this is sponsored and stuff like that. So people know, but it's less like from the brand serving you an ad. This is from an influencer. I imagine you do that a lot for your clients. And do you see a lot of success there? Is it worth it for whatever additional hoops you have to jump through? I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes. Yeah, it's not like the magic thing. And I think a lot of people paint it as this is like, oh, well, you just haven't done whitelisting. And that could be true for your product. It could not. And what we've seen actually after visibility into $250 million in ad spend is the one differentiator is creative, which is true with every ad account. So there's no like magic trick with having Jessica Alba as your influencer and serving an ad through her page if the creative sucks. But sometimes it does work just because it's Jessica Alba. Like obviously if you have a macro at that level, it's like there is going to be some brand validity and credibility there as opposed to like a micro influencer I've never heard of and I'm just seeing an ad through her handle. So there is like differences, of course, but what we've seen is the creative awesome. That's really the differentiator, why it works or why it doesn't. What makes awesome creative from the data that you've looked at? Um, What we would say, thumb stopping content. I mean, there it is right there. In the first three seconds, it gets someone to stop and watch the ad. This sometimes just blows my mind. Like there's a metric on Facebook for three second views. And if it gets beyond three second views of like 90%, it's unbelievable. But it is true. Like the content can thumb stop on a feed. So usually what we see with influencer content is like great personality. Can they speak well to the products? Like on testimonials, I think that's why TikTok is blowing up with just like the creativity around like the transitions that just make me and my wife crack up late at night. It's just like watching these transitions between videos and stuff like that. The creativity behind those things. There is something to be said about that on an ad where it's like it's quick and to the point. So those are some things. There's no like awesome creative. Like it also depends on the brand. It depends on the product telling that story as well. Yeah, for sure. And I love that there's no magic in this, guys. It's testing, learning, try again, do better. And I think there's so much bullshit (laughs) about how easy e-commerce is. Throw up a website, run some ads, and like tomorrow you're a millionaire. And people think that there's some secret that the rest of the e-com world is not telling them. It's not true. They just want you to think that. So you'll buy all their courses and shit and start an e-com business. That's why they're positioning it that way. You just got to keep testing. And I will say that watching TikTok just solidifies how I am not a creative content creator. (laughs) (laughs) makes me feel old. And I'm like, wait, where's like my MySpace page with all my like gifts that I used to put in it? Yeah, your playlist? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. When I first started learning HTML was like MySpace page, how to like embed an image. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is so funny. Hustle culture has definitely brought some negatives to the e-com world, entrepreneur world. 
Yeah. So I like to call all that shit out on the e-commerce badassery podcast and keep it real with my people. I have a couple of other questions to just try and help my audience wrap their head around. Like, when are they ready for influencer marketing? So like, who is it good for? I mean, honestly, this might disappoint you, but I would say anyone, honestly, like even B2B businesses, there's always at least one influencer in your space. Like what you think of the word influencer, it might not be that specific person, but it could be like a category that you're trying to enter into. It could be someone that maybe is not a competitor, but someone in that industry and you just seeding them your product and they tell everybody about you because you just created that relationship. And it could be like the person on the other end of the spectrum that just creates amazing content that can be able to sell product on a Facebook ad. So there's a wide ranging scale when I say like influencer. Now, like when you're talking about the difference between hiring an agency like us versus like hiring an in-person employee or just doing it yourself, like especially for early stage entrepreneurs, an agency like us is just completely out of budget because they're making $100,000 a year. And to pay us $10,000 a month just does not make sense because you get all this stuff and then not be able to do anything with it, like with Facebook ads or anything like that. So to be able to work with us as an agency, like we usually like work with $5 million in top line revenue and above. Actually, a few weeks ago, just created this influencer course for people to like actually do this for themselves. We just gave away everything for people to learn to do it on themselves, teaching you the whole blueprint. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question directly, but there's never like a wrong time to where like you need to start thinking about influencer marketing because you can always seed your product and get your product out there no matter what stage you're at. Even if you have an MSRP product of 600 bucks, just send out one and pick an influencer. Okay, let's say they've decided that they are going to do influencer marketing. What should they kind of have in place before they start reaching out and making those relationships? I like that question. Probably working with you on their brand story and messaging, because I think that's where we don't see as much success with our clients with influencer seating is just maybe like, you need to know where you're going. You need to know where the ship is going and the destination you want to take it to and like the messaging that you need to bring to the world, because all that stuff matters. Like the user experience matters. Like the customer experience is really important. So like when they get the package in the mail, what it speaks to them, like the unboxing, like everything. So I would put a lot of effort into branding in a large macro term, maybe before you start doing a ton of outreach. But I definitely don't want to paint the impression that you have to like get A through Z all your ducks in a row. But I do think people forget about those small things like a mailer. <laughs> like when you send the product to the influencer, it's like, what are you communicating? Like, what do you want these people to think about, feel are all five senses being hit? Like all those sorts of things. Yeah. Sometimes people even forget this. Like if you have some pretty packaging that you traditionally ship in, it's going to get destroyed in shipping. And now they don't have a good product to like take pictures of or do an unboxing or share or whatever. So like put it in another brown box to protect it. Great point. So that when they open it, it's still in pristine condition. Think of them as another customer. They need to buy into the story of your brand. They need to care about it. They need to give a shit about you, your product, and what you stand for. So 
definitely dial that in. And, you know, just because what you sell is like t-shirts with a print on it doesn't mean that you don't have a story. Like there's always a story. It's just about how do you kind of pull that out? Write a handwritten note from the founder. Like that goes a long way. People are still old school. And it's not like the fake handwritten notes that you printed a thousand of them. Like actually take the time, take 10 minutes. I mean, hopefully it doesn't take you 10 minutes, take two minutes. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like when you can do something that people don't do anymore, because we're all just like living in our digital little world. When my aunt, this was a few years ago now, she was looking for a new job and everything is you have to apply online. Well, let me tell you, you're never getting your resume through those stupid online things, right? It's all automated. It's never even getting in front of the HR person. She overnighted her resume to the owner of the store that she wanted to go work at. She sells furniture and does interior design landed this big giant envelope on his desk. Of course he was going to open that and nobody else is doing that. And so she stood out. So it's the same thing with these influencers, you know, just creating that first impression and doing better than every other Joe Schmo trying to send them their damn product asking like, Hey, can you just post about this for me? So like I just mentioned, and like my audience hears me say all the time is there's so much BS on the internet and I like to keep it real with my audience and e-commerce is not all sunshine and rainbows. So I would love to know what is maybe a failure you had in a strategy or something that you tried with a client that just like totally bombed and didn't work. Yeah. Uh, what first comes to mind is actually when I was working at a brand called Kalo. That was my start. They were making silicone wedding rings. And I think we just got caught up in the Facebook drug of around 2015, 2016, like testimonial videos. And we were working with some like big time athletes. We worked with NFL quarterbacks and the Monday Night Football crew on ESPN and these Olympians do these testimonials and they Shane Dorian surfer and they absolutely crushed. I'm talking like five, seven, 11 ROAS, like it crazy. And the mistake was as soon as we got that high, it was like, okay, how do we do this for everyone? And then it just became like, oh, like it's not just the person. Like this kind of ties back to like how it led to strategies, how we're thinking about today. Because I got caught up in like, who are the macros that we can work with? And all we need to do is get them to do a 30 second to a minute testimonial and influence marketing is easy. Or like I got caught up in like the discount code thing. Like lesson is whatever's the current trend, it's not always going to work. And you need to be thinking like holistically, because I think like I was basically the influencer marketing department. And I just got caught up in like what was working and just wanted to ride that wave as long as possible and didn't think like, what's next? Like, what's going to be the next thing? Not like the next hot ticket, but like, how do we think about this the right way? Okay, like, I didn't assume like these user testimonials are going to not work. What I will say is like getting those testimonials would never have happened if we didn't start the relationship without seeding. So there is a side note. Like those people actually love the product. It wasn't cold outreach. So that's kind of like timeless is being able to like build a relationship on giving, not asking. But that was definitely a mistake that I'm luckily like learned by the time we were able to start our agency. Yeah, that's so important. Like innovate or die. 
Who's heard of Blockbuster? I feel like one day people will be using like Blockbuster as the example, but there's going to be a whole group of people that have never even heard of it and aren't even going to know what we're saying. And then it's like really old by then. Okay. So on a more positive note, what's been one of your biggest successes with a strategy or something you've implemented? Back in the day, Kalo got the product on LeBron James. That was definitely a huge dub. And that story real quickly without boring your audience with it. I actually started with a first relationship with another NBA player and he ended up giving the ring to LeBron. So like this all ties back into just relationship building where it was like that teammate of LeBron's wasn't even on that same team by the time I met him. So when I originally met him, he was on a competing team. He had no relationship with LeBron. Like that first touch point was not, hey, Isaiah, post 17 times. It was like, oh, here's the product. And two years later, he just happened to be on the same team as LeBron. I didn't say, hey, Isaiah, can you give this to LeBron? It was like, hey, here's rings for you and the team. Like, truthfully, I was not thinking about, I hope this lands on LeBron. But the possibility was obviously exciting. And then sure enough, we saw a bunch of pictures with him wearing it. And we got all this stuff to like be able to get into retailers, the brand news. So that was right before I left Kalo too. And it was kind of just like my right off into glory. That's a nice way to leave it for sure. Exactly. I recently left my corporate job and I was there for seven years, but I know I left it better than I found it. And that was like really important to me. Right. And I feel like I really did accomplish a lot of things there. So it feels good to leave on a positive note. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of word of mouth advertising too, right? You give it to one, they share with everyone else. And it was two years, guys. It happened two years later from when he started. So just be a little bit more patient is all I'm saying. It is long-term. You do get some short-term stuff out of it, but it is a long-term brand play. Yep, for sure. If you could give my audience one thing to take away from this episode, something they should 100% either implement or just like remember, write down on a sticky note, what would that be? First thought was just be easier on yourself because I know people, especially in the entrepreneur world, it can be a lonely space. This is outside of just influencer marketing. I would find people that are doing what you're doing and just talk shop because it is a lonely world when you're trying to run a business or an agency or doing what you're doing, Jessica. Like, I think there's a lot of type A personalities, but even if you're not, there's a lot of personalities out there that just want to make a difference. That's kind of my first advice is just like, take a breath. It's all going to work out. But when it comes to influencer marketing, I think beat you guys over the head with this, but I would just send your product out, build relationships on giving, not asking. If you could build your life around that philosophy, that would do you a lot of good. Not just influencers, but like who can you provide value to without having an expectation that you want something from them. So that's what I would do is like, just believe in the philosophy that I'm preaching and trust it. Trust that you're going to reap from it. Tell my audience where they can find you. I know you mentioned you have a course. Is that out? Yeah, the course is on Podia. It's kinship.podia.com. I'm very active on Twitter and Instagram. That's kind of where I put out content, educational content, fun content. So those two places at just my name and hopefully we can connect. But yeah, the course is a lot cheaper than working with us as an agency. And we gave everything that we know. We just wanted it to be like a one-stop shop. 
I love that you did that. And obviously the people who listen to me are e-commerce business owners, but some of them have been really successful and they've started to offer some services and informational products as well. And people always ask me, how do you decide what you give away and what you hold back? And I say, I give it all away because people are going to invest in you because either they don't want to do it. (laughs) That's usually the main reason, right? They get to a level where they're like, I know how, but I don't want to. So I just want you to do it for me or because they just want to be around you and your energy. So don't be afraid to give it all away. People do fear that. Yeah, for sure. It's like a limited mindset. Like there's not enough for everybody. Yeah, there's more than enough. And you know, I used to have that struggle. People were like, okay, so you share the why, but you make them pay for the how. And I'm like, I don't know. My whole podcast is how. Like listen and go implement. Like just do the five things I tell you to do and you'll have more money. (laughs) Like that's the goal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much, Cody, for finding me, for reaching out, for filling out my little form, for telling me that profanity does not offend you. I really appreciate all of your time, your wisdom, and I hope you have a kick-ass rest of your day. You too. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.